0: Mikel, welcome to About Abroad. Good to see you again. How are you today?
1: I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited to dive into today's conversation. You know, you were on my podcast recently, and we had a lot of fun. So I think this is going to be good. The tables have changed a little bit, but uh, I think it's going to be good.
0: Well, I know you're a, you're a seasoned pro of the, uh, of the podcast game, and it's not the first time you've been on the other side of the mic. But do you find it a little weird when it gets turned the other way?
1: No, I think I've done about 170 podcasts on my show and I've been interviewed about 200 times, just under 200 times. So we're about half-half, you could say. So I, I, I think it's all right.
0: Gotcha. Okay. All right. Good. I, I find it like now that I've gotten used to being on this side of the mic, I actually have to like readjust my mindset a little bit. So it's, it's good to know you. that's, that's, how, the, uh, that's how it's done. You got to keep it even over time.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, I'm excited about this too. I I was mentioning to you backstage before we got started that I feel like if you were a book, I would have read like every third page or every fifth page or something. So I know a good bit about you because I've listened to your show for for quite a while now and and not to claim that I've heard every episode, but I, I know a little bit about your backstory, but I also, there's a lot that I don't know. And I'm curious to kind of start connecting those dots. So both for me and for the audience, I wonder if you could just kind of give us the, the quick elevator pitch on Mikkel's life until now. You're, you're sitting in Panama today. How did you arrive here? And, and what's a bit of the
1: backstory? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll try to keep it brief because like I said, I've been interviewed many times. So if you guys have heard me, you've probably heard this story before. But basically, when I was a child, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. So I was in grade three, and my teacher pulled me out of class. And they brought me to a little room and sat me down and the principal and the resource teacher and I think the vice principal or something like that was there. And they sat me down and they said, Mikel, Mikel, something doesn't work quite right in your brain. And what we want to do is we want to send you to a special school, special school for special boys. And I was like, totally freaked out, didn't understand what was going on, but... Literally, that's what happened. Every day for the next three years, I got on a little white bus and I took the white bus across town and I went to this special school. But the problem, Chase, was that it wasn't a special school. It was actually a regular school with a special class. So you can probably imagine what happened. I got in tons of fights. I got picked on. I got bullied. Um, It was a pretty horrendous experience. Now, This is no woe is me, woe is me story, poor Mikkel, victim, victim. I don't go in for any of that stuff. I certainly gave as good as I got. There was no question about that. I got hit, I hit back. There's no question Mm -hmm. about that. But I left school like absolutely hating the experience. I just thought it was the worst thing ever. And I was so excited when I got to go back to my neighborhood school. So after three years of going to this quote unquote special school, I went back to my neighborhood school and I was so happy. I thought, wow, my friends, they will have missed me and everyone's going to be wondering what happened to me. They're going to be so happy to see me. And I got back and once again, you can probably imagine what happened and all the kids started gossiping and and whispering, oh, I know Mikkel, he went to some retard school. Nice. Thanks, guys. Very politically correct. 1980s. You know how kids are. Very (laughs) sensitive human beings, you know? Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. But um, had a a terrible experience, grade seven and grade eight. Started failing. So I stopped going and then I'd fail more. Then they sent me to summer school and I'd fail that. Somehow I squeaked into high school and um, that was also no good for me. Didn't, Didn't speak to me at all. Basically, what happened is at 12 years old, I stopped going to school and 15, I officially dropped out and I never went back. And I started traveling. I started traveling internationally just maybe two years later, less than two years later. And I started traveling internationally and I started meeting all these people. And it was like, wow, I've like found my tribe, like I found my peeps, you know, like I was so stoked. And it really showed me like there's not just one way to do things, not one way to learn things, one way to advance, to build a business, to make friends. I mean, there was just a whole wide world out there. And I was hooked from the age of 17. I was hooked. Fast forward to today. I mean, I have been traveling for 21 years straight. I have circumnavigated the planet more than 400 times. I've been to over 100, and I've been to about 1506 countries, something like that, last count. I've lived in nine. I mean, I'm in Panama right now. Uh, I met my wife in Germany. She's from China. We got married in Africa. My daughter was born in the Middle East. My son was born in Brazil. We have houses around the world. I'm a number one best-selling author about the Expat space. I have a podcast that's been going five years. blog, newsletter, everything is just I'm obsessed, obsessed with everything expat, travel, and living overseas. So that is 21 years in a really short four-minute elevator ride. I don't know.
0: Man, you did you did that really well. Thank God you had those classes in middle school and high school that taught you how to do all that stuff, right? I mean, where would you be without those, you know, without social studies and, and biology? Yes. Government-run <laughs> schools. Thank goodness for that.
1: Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> Well this is something I definitely want to get into more uh, the the schooling aspect because you're doing something quite revolutionary um that uh, that I think is is super important. Let's let's you know put an earmark on that and and make sure we return because it's fascinating. I'm very curious about those early days of traveling. What did that look like for you and and when you say you found your tribe, maybe elaborate on that a little bit because I think sure. this is one of those things that people no matter what age you are it's one of the things that kind of holds you back from making that leap of faith for a lot of people they're they're leaving their comfort zone and you and you maybe had the luxury of not having such a comfort zone and and were looking for something else, but a lot of people are afraid of never finding their tribe elsewhere and and for you, it's
1: been the exact opposite experience I think that my superpower chase is that like I have no fear. Like people are like, oh my goodness, what if I go here and it doesn't work out and I don't get a job and I don't have enough money? I'm like, I don't, I that part of my brain just doesn't exist. I'm like, go, 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 go. But well, my first trip, I was 17 years old. I went to Ireland, England, and Wales for about a month. I used to per I used to compete at high levels in martial arts. So I was on Team Canada. I'm I'm a Canadian citizen. I competed in the worlds for Team Canada, went to Ireland to compete and then after that started traveling through England and Wales and it was awesome. I immediately came back, started saving money and went back to Europe um, just a few months later. Well, maybe actually probably about a year later. So I was about 18 or 19 by that time and I went all through Western Europe and then I completely ran out of money. So I went down to North Africa. I went to Morocco. I spent two months in Morocco and I actually went to Algeria via Camel So you figure it was probably like the year 2001 or something like that. I jumped on a camel, spent three days and I went to Algeria and then back again. And, um, it was awesome. I was just so, so hooked. I meet these other, I mean, we didn't have digital nomads back in the day. I mean, no one like the internet existed, but it wasn't like it is today. You were not building business. We weren't doing video conferencing like we are today. Um, So, I just met like lots of backpackers, and you would be on this track and you would meet one another and be like, Oh, yeah, I'm going this direction. Oh, I'm going that direction. Like, hang out for a bit and then separate and then meet up again. And yeah, man, I just, I just loved it. Like, I just thought it was the coolest thing in the whole wide world to go hang out with people from Germany and Switzerland and Spain. And he'd learn all these languages and try all this different food and stuff. I was amazed. I mean, I just, knew right from the beginning, this was for me. And the funny thing was that my dad had always told me growing up that like travel was the best thing he ever did with his life. But in my mind, I was like, well, pff, dad, if it was the greatest thing you ever did with your life, like why'd you only do uh, like one or two trips when you were in your twenties? Like, why didn't you do more? Like it didn't make sense to me. So I guess I kind of posed that question to myself and I kept going. After that, I was in uh, ski resorts. I was in, um, Western Canada in the ski resorts for 18 months. Then I spent 18 months and hitchhiked through Mexico, Central, and South America. um, Studied Spanish and did all kinds of random things. I went to the Darien Gap. I actually got got on a little prop plane that was there to deliver missionaries and the mail. And we did like four or five hops to different little towns going deeper into the Darien Gap. Then got there, found someone who had a truck, went four wheel driving for like a half a day, then got on a motor a canoe. We strapped a motor to the back of it. And then we spent three days going into the Darien to the coast, uh, to the, the border of Colombia, and then turned around and came back. I was like 22 or something, 20, (laughs) 22, 23. That was 2000 and yeah, that was 2003, 2004. And then, I mean, oh man, I could keep going. New Zealand for a year, Australia for three years, Singapore for a year, Arctic for a year, um, eight years in the Middle East, two and a half years here in Panama, six months in Brazil, six months in Guatemala. I don't know, lots of random stuff, lots of stories. How, how
0: do you how do you answer the the arbitrary question? Then when you know, I love when someone says, "Where where are you from?" Like, what do you what do you say to that now?
1: I don't know, man. I've spent more of my life outside of Canada than inside of Canada. And I never, I, I hate using the word identity or identified. I hate this word now, but I mean, it never felt like home. Like I just, I didn't feel like I belonged there. I was the oddball, the weirdo, um, the crazy one. And yeah, it just yeah. wasn't for me. Yeah.
0: I find this I find this question super boring and super interesting at the same time, and it's interesting because it's boring. I think that's what that's what kind of fascinates me about it is when people say, when I hear somebody, we're sitting at a, a table here in Spain, and there's eight or nine nationalities represented, and and it's it's a super easy icebreaker, right? Like, oh, where are you from? It's just nice, no no harm in asking this question at all. But I find it super interesting. The more culturally diverse my group of friends and the people that I'm surrounded by come, that question continues to get much more complicated. And like, like for instance, at, my, at the company I work for, I would say the majority of the relationships that like my, you know, a coworker who's married to another person, we have 35 nationalities represented amongst 100 people. So it's pretty, pretty diverse uh, when you think about like every third person's from a new country. And most of those people that are married, like a very high majority of them have kids have have a spouse from another country like is your situation and then they have kids that are now third culture kids and often they're living in another country and so this this like we used to be much more homogenous not that long ago and like it's becoming much more easy to have this international lifestyle and so the the question's just going to continue to have less meaning
1: i think and and be more complicated to answer yeah, I think that when I get this question, my my standard response is, I'm Canadian, but I've lived overseas for more than 20 years. So, yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not this, I'm a citizen of the world. Like, this sounds so <laughs> cliche to me. I mean, I was born in Canada. I'm a Canadian citizen. I travel on a Canadian passport. I mean, yeah, i got other stuff around the world. We have homes and residency passports and stuff like that. But, I mean... I was born in Canada. I'm Canadian citizen. Yeah,
0: it, it's a, it's a nice easy out. Uh, I, I I hear you. I, I kind of do the same. Like I'm oh, born in the U S., but I've lived in Spain for the last four years. Lived in a few other countries, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, Spain's home right now. And so that, but it's interesting. After all that, I mean, you like you you tell some of these stories, and I know you could keep going. And I I wish that we had infinite time, so I could just shut up and let you just talk for a couple hours. I look forward to that because there, I know there's some juicy ones in there, um, but it it's always so interesting to me where people settle down like especially when you've had so many experiences i mean when you mentioned living multiple years in the middle east and multiple years in australia and you and you obviously you know started your your travel journeys off in europe and and you you like i love tasting all the different gastronomy and the cultures of different places you could theoretically you could settle down anywhere but you're in panama that's where you're calling home now and so I wonder if you can kind of go into, you know, why Panama, what what called you there and talk to us a little bit about your life in Panama, particularly from the vantage point of an expat.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, straight off the bat, I am a freedom fighter. I am very very much against paying income tax or anything like that. The way that I do it and the way that I help my clients do it is we make this a tax-free country. So, you know, if done correctly and legally, there are strategies that you can eliminate your tax bill. It has huge benefits for your net worth, for your business, what you can invest back in, how you acquire investments. There is so much to be said for that. But we can put that stuff aside just for a moment, but it is worth mentioning there is good ways to do this. But from the lifestyle side, okay, let's get into Panama. First of all, it is a stunningly beautiful country. Like it is Unbelievable. I mean, I got married in the Seychelles and we were out on the beaches and stuff like that. The beaches here in Panama are nicer than in the Indian Ocean in Africa, off the coast of Africa, you know, which is like Maldives and stuff like that. Like they're they're here in Panama in basically your backyard if you're from Canada or the US. I mean, it's three, four hour flight to the US, maybe five hours max to go to Toronto. That's unbelievable um you can have organic fruits and vegetables every day all day long and it costs peanuts like it's just mm. nothing because they don't have all the money to spend on Monsanto and the chemicals and everything like that they just don't have it you know mm. it's a USD economy so the currency is quite stable i have people who are worried about the USD i'm worried about the USD but I would rather have USD than Argentinian pesos or Venezuelan uh, currencies or, I mean, some of these other ones in these countries, it's like, they would kill to have an American currency, something that would actually hold value. Yes, I know that we have inflation. They report it's at 2.4%. Some people say 5%. Other people say double digits, but it's nothing compared to what's happening in Venezuela or some of these other countries. So for all intents and purposes, at the moment, it is a stable currency, meaning you can build your business here. You know what is going to happen with the money supply. The laws here are stable. It's a, it's a, stable country. Politically, it is a stable country. They have the Panama Canal, which brings in something like... I think it's $7 billion a year in revenue into the country. So they have massive amounts of money that come in from that. They have the largest banking sector in all of Latin America. This is where everybody comes to bring their money. So they actually get over $11 billion in revenue just from the banking sector in fees and everything like this. They have over 100 international banks here. So if you're from Peru and you're a business owner and you're worried about socialism taking over the country, what are you doing? You're taking your money and you're moving it to Panama. That's what's happening. It's what's happening every day, over and over and over again. So it ends up actually being a really, really rich country. People think, oh, Panama, it is a third world country or something like that. Oh my God, we were out for dinner last night. The restaurant, would, like if it was in Europe, it would have been a one Michelin star restaurant, and you know, dinner was like a couple hundred bucks. Like it was nothing <laughs> for for a group of us. You know, for an entire group, they have malls here. They have medical facilities. We have a John Hopkins hospital, you know, five, ten minutes away from my house. I mean, that doesn't sound very, you know, quote unquote third world to me. I mean, there's just so much going on here. This it's just such a beautiful spot.
0: Ah, It sounds, it sounds really amazing and and comfortable and like it's this nice like sort of a great mixture of adventure with. The comforts of of home, in a way, and the security, without having too much to think about. Like it sounds like you can really just kind of settle in there and and make a life for yourself, like you have as an as an expat. Do you or, or do you or do you disagreed a little bit? Is it a challenging place to
1: to move to compared to some of the other places you've lived? I mean. You're going to need to learn Spanish. There's no question about that. And I mean, I used a program. If you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language, you can use the exact programs that I learned to or used to learn Spanish. And I mean, in the first two years, I went from pretty crummy Spanish, like I had studied, as I was telling you guys before, like 20 years ago, but then nothing for many, many years, and then picked it up again. And within two years, got Quite fluent, I would say. I mean, certainly I can get by and I can live my life. Am I going to be, um, you know, debating politics on stage or something like that? Or, you know, speaking with a surgeon on, you know, uh, different types of medical procedures? Well, no, I mean, definitely not. But for all intents and purposes, for my life, my Spanish is quite good here. Um, You got to put in the time and the effort and the energy, but it's worthwhile. Uh, The people here are lovely. It's easy to make friends. You can make expat friends and you can make local friends. Last night we were out with um, actually a mixed couple, Panamanian wife and a um, Canadian expat husband. So you have lots of families like that. Uh, The Panamanians are quite wealthy, so they've traveled a lot. They have a lot of international experience. They go on vacation to the States, to Disneyland, or they go up skiing in Utah and stuff. So yeah, man. I think it's I think it's a good spot. I mean, I I could literally go on all day about how much I love Panama. How how is
0: the expat scene in terms of like um your like last night you were out with a couple you know a a couple in that regard but like for your kids for the the school
1: system do you do you feel supported in that way? Yeah, absolutely. So for my kids, I homeschool my daughter. My daughter's five years old. My kid is my my little boy is only five six months old. So. <laughs> No, no schooling for him yet. We're, we're working on eating first. Um, <laughs> Baby steps, literally. Yeah, but my daughter speaks Spanish. We got a full-time uh, nanny, a, a maid nanny. She helps clean the house, take care of things, and then she plays with my daughter for about four or five hours a day. In four months, she went from actually zero Spanish to completely fluent with a native accent where you would think she was speaking it since the day she was born. She speaks English, Mandarin and Spanish, all completely fluent. We're now starting to put in German into her language. So we've changed over her tablet to German and all her cartoons are in German. We're going to go visit friends of ours who are German and we have German friends here and yeah, so languages are cool. I think languages are really neat.
0: They're they're fascinating, and the kids at that age, being such sponges, I can't imagine a better way to grow up. I've 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 said this before on this show. Like I actually find myself like envious of these kids who are getting this experience, learning different. I didn't learn other languages growing up. You know, I'm learning Spanish now, and I picked up a little bit of of German and Mandarin, just a, a little tiny bit. But like I nothing when I was you know 15, 16 years old until that point, just had not even thought about other languages. So it's fascinating that they're getting this experience. And for me, it's one of the best forms of education, Uh, not just the language part, but the cultural interaction. She's learning how people do things in different cultures, and there's not just one way to approach
1: something. Absolutely, because what ends up happening is, if you force everyone else to speak English when you travel, you're, you're making other people interact with you on your terms. Now, as an expat, as someone who travels, that's not the greatest. Actually, it's really nice when you can go into their world and see things from their perspective, their point of view, experience their culture and their music and the food and the history and everything like that on their terms. That's for me, a big difference from being an expat and maybe from being a digital nomad. I'm not traveling through countries three days here, two days there, one day there. I'm like six months, a year, two years, five years, one year, two years. Like, I really, I like. I want to be Panamanian. I think it's super cool. But at the same time, I want to be Turkish. I mean, we're buying a home in Turkey next year, and we want to start studying the language over there. We just, as I said before, we just got back from Brazil. We were learning Portuguese. We have a whole group of Brazilian friends. We were learning about the food, and we were doing churrasco at the house every single day and inviting people over and having parties and learning how they cook and how they do everything learning things on other people's terms is cool, man. It's It really challenges you, but it's really neat.
0: Ah, it's super cool. What a fun way to live life. I mean, it's like a, it's an experience every single day. I, when, the, when those mundane aspects of life, like just going to the grocery store, or just having another couple over for dinner, but they're from a different place. Now they bring a different food. Now you get to learn how to make that food and the history behind it. All of a sudden, what would be just a, a normal dinner date becomes this like, huge learning experience and for me this is like
1: so invigorating and I I obviously gather from you it's the same yeah well imagine building your entire life your all your memories are experiences just like you described like for me that is a very rich life like I think that is amazing and I I like that and as you do that as I do that as people do those types of things we actually grow Every time we put ourselves in different situations, things we're not accustomed to, we grow as human beings. And it's like, you guys probably listening today can understand, I'm a pretty passionate and I'm a very confident individual. I'm this way because of the things that I've done in my life. I didn't do these things in my life because I was so confident. Come on. I had a learning disability. I had dyslexia when I was a child. They sent me to a special school. I got the crap kicked out of me all the time. My nose broken. I had a horrible experience. I got made fun of so much. I was, I had no confidence when I was a kid. I went out and did all these things anyways. And the confidence came afterwards. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it it makes perfect sense. It makes sense when you say it. Uh if if you if I was reading that and not able to hear the passion and the the confidence that you exude now, it would I would be scared for that little boy. I would be scared for that individual setting out into the world, uh going to travel by camel across Algeria from from the vantage point of I just got the crap kicked out of me a lot and made fun of and I have no confidence, that I would be worried. Um but but th- that's what's so incredibly epic about your story is that that motivated you and helped convert you into what you are today which is is a huge success story i mean the the business that you run and the people that are part of the community and the life that you're living uh, all you know help hold help that hold water so it's it's absolutely fascinating
1: well think about it I think that there are so many people out there who are listening to these types of podcasts and doing research and they think to myself oh, or think to themselves like oh I'd really like to do that I want to do that but I'm not ready or I'm too old or I don't speak the language or I don't know anyone or I'm scared or all these types of false belief patterns and it's like no I mean all of that stuff sorts itself out afterwards I mean just get up and go try it just go for it I swear to god like I'm sure everybody who's listening to this show has, you know, a place in their mind somewhere that they've been dreaming about seeing their entire life. I have no idea what that place is for you. And I have no idea if you've ever told anyone else or explained it to anyone else. But I guarantee that it is there. My advice to you is just go. Just try it. Because I mean, everything else will work itself out. Yes, it'll be hard. Yes, you might not what know what to do. And you might make mistakes but those are all good things and i mean what you get on the other end of it is just amazing
0: yeah and there's no better time to do it than right now you know we we talked about this when i came on your show but like i mean remote work is at an all time high and only growing the trajectory is is just infinite in that area and there are more employers open to opportunities to let you go go for go for a week, go for a month, go, just go, Get dip your toe in the water and see if you need to scratch that itch more. Uh, because if you find that you do, you're going to be really upset later in life if you didn't at least give it a shot. And I think, you know, like when you set off on your journey, uh, you were coming at it from a totally different place. Like remote work wasn't a thing. You were having to probably tie a bunch of different loose ends together to make this thing work And even if remote work isn't the method that gets you to where you're trying to go, it is an option more so than ever. So there's fewer excuses. uh, As Mikel says, just go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Think, back in the day, there was no Uber, no Airbnb, none of these types of apps. You didn't have a, a map on your smartphone or something like this. I mean, like today it's so easy. I mean, I really don't see any excuses. I think... I think it's easy, just go out there and try it It really is not not too challenging. um
0: my brother just came to visit actually. he's not a traveler. he doesn't really uh have the desire to to get out and see a whole lot of the world, but he just came over to Europe and visited me for the first time here in Spain, and he said exactly that like he's like, even for me, you know this is this isn't like uh this isn't exactly my thing, but like this wasn't so hard. you know, I had breakfast at home and two flights later, I'm here and In Spain, I slept on the plane. You know, I got my phone. It's it's all pretty straightforward and easy. It's it's not very challenging at all. I remember actually when I when I first started traveling, uh, I was studying abroad and I lost my credit card or like my debit card. I don't even think I was a credit card. I lost my debit card on the first day uh, of my study abroad experience. And the process, like I I think back on this now, this wasn't like all that that long ago. We're not talking about multiple decades here. The process to get a new card was mind blowing. Like not just not just like getting the actual physical card, but like, okay, now I have to go get a calling card, find a payphone, call a bank. Oh, my b- time just ran out. I gotta go do that again. Now I need more phone cards, um, calling cards, and and like all all the processes. And then like how do I get money? Like now I can't get money. Um and, and all these things would not be a challenge anymore. So it's come a long way very quickly. And I, I would bet Of all the people you've had on your show, I would bet there's very few, if any, that took that leap of faith and regretted it later. Has that been your experience? Man,
1: I mean, I'm not the only one who the travel bug hits. Like, This is pretty normal, I think. Once you start traveling, people fall in love with it. I think the only difference is the people that do it a lot and the people who just do it a little bit is that the people who do it a little bit don't think that it's possible to do it a lot I think that's the only <laughs> separation you know I mean I hear it all the time like hobbies like travel like travel is the number one thing and I I'm, I think it is the best thing I think that there's I mean I can't think of one bad thing about it like yeah. I just like it's bad. all good it's all upside I, I don't know man there's got to be something but I can't think of it <laughs> yeah, you and you and me both.
0: We're like preaching to the choir here. I I'm curious to uh to circle back on something. And that we we touched on this in the beginning, and I want to make sure we we have time for this. So on the expat money show, it would be great first for anybody that's listening to this that isn't familiar with your business sort of as a whole, just just kind of give a quick overview. And I would love to segue from there into the school aspect that you're doing. So I think it would be good just for people to have the context of what you do professionally and what you talk about on the Expat Money Show. And then I would love to get into this school
1: because I'm totally, totally fascinated by this. Absolutely. So the podcast is Expat Money Show. If you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com, you can find it there. Otherwise, basically every podcatcher app in the entire planet, we are there. (laughs) Um, We've been doing, yeah, for about five years, 170 episodes, something like that. We've had people like Grant Cardone on the show, Jim Rogers, Richard Mayberry, um, lots of cool people. Chase Warrington has been on my show. The man, the man, exactly. Uh, which was an awesome episode, which was a fantastic episode. I was very happy for that one. Uh, We have a forum, a private forum on Facebook. If you guys go to expatmoneyforum.com, you can check that out. It is a very thriving community with thousands of people always interacting every day, swapping stories, helping each other, tips. We're getting tons of information about borders that are opening and different mandates and where you can go as a digital nomad or perpetual traveler, flag theory, all these types of things. So there's Tons of cool people in there. We have an amazing community. I have a book, Expat. If you guys go to Expat Secrets Book, it will redirect you to the Amazon link, expatsecretsbook.com. My main business is consulting. So what I do is I help mostly Americans and Canadians relocate overseas. Now, it's not just relocating themselves. It is also relocating their businesses. It is also relocating their investments, their wealth. We do it in a tax free or tax efficient manner. I should actually say a tax efficient manner. And we are doing it really custom based. I mean, I don't have like different plans. Like you don't just go to a store and buy the suit off the rack. This is going to the tailor and having something specifically made exactly for you. My services are not cheap, but I have a lot of experience, and I think there are actually very few people on planet Earth who have as much experience as I do in this field. I have a massive network of CPAs, of lawyers, service providers, gold gold vault um, uh, holders. I have like A huge network of people that I bring into the conversations. And I use this as a way to help provide solutions. So, in a lot of cases, we can get rid of someone's tax bill. We can do things with a lot less paperwork. So, there's less filing. Or even if there is filing, we outsource it so that person doesn't have to deal with it themselves. We get them better weather. We get them in a climate that is actually conducive to good work and you know we introduce them and make them feel at home i have clients who are coming over here to panama right now and introduce them around so they have friends right from day one like it's it's a it's a huge service but um and are they are they
0: primarily moving to panama or could it be anywhere in the world
1: yeah all over the place i mean we have our probably top 10 or 20 countries that we like. Panama is one of them. I bring up Panama because that's where I'm sitting today and because I think it is a fantastic country. But we also help people with Mexico, with Belize, Costa Rica, Brazil. Um, We used to help with Argentina, but there's just so many problems there at the moment. Uh, Portugal, Greece, I mean, lots of places in Europe, Montenegro, Cyprus, Malta, Um, and then Thailand, Malaysia, these kinds of kind of Singapore these types of places. I mean, I'm not helping people move to Namibia or something like that. Right? Um, I'm not helping people move to Uganda. I work in Uganda. I I support a a charity and, and a nonprofit there that I work with called 1018, where I help people with those types of things. But I'm not relocating expats to those types of countries, although they are very beautiful. And I've been there myself. So
0: So what is the, when you say like these countries, like what is the red thread that sort of ties the ones that you like, quote unquote, together for for relocation? Is it a tax thing primarily or is there some other element? I mean, I'm sure there's multiple
1: elements, but you get the gist of the question. There's multiple elements, but tax is certainly one of them. Um, It doesn't have to necessarily be a completely tax-free country, but usually it will be a lower tax jurisdiction. We use the term offshore, so an offshore jurisdiction will have favorable tax laws, will be strong asset protection laws, and then usually some way that you can actually get there. I mean, you might want to move to Liechtenstein, and yes, it has great tax laws and things, but it's going to be really hard to get there. I mean, it's just... They are not opening the door to every Tom, Dick, and Harry that wants to come to the country. Um, Then we have nearshore jurisdictions like Ireland or Portugal or something like that where there are ways that you can mitigate the taxes. Um, But it's not technically a completely tax-free country or a tax haven or any of these terms that you've heard. But uh, we follow the laws. We follow the rules. We don't cut corners. This is not a gray zone. We're... Not breaking the law. We're not exploiting people. We're not taking advantage. This is what the country wants. They want expats to live here. They want them to bring their their dollars into the country and spend them. We have domestic help here. We have a home. We go out for dinner every week and we buy lots of stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. we just... I don't know why, but we just bought an 86 inch television because my kid likes Just Dance, so we bought her a huge TV for Just Dance. I mean, we spend our money in the economy here. That's and, what they want. Yeah, that, that's that, there what will they be want. people.
0: There will be people that hear the term like offshore and and naturally tie some like negative connotation to it. And and people have I've, I've had that conversation with people where they'll say like. Like, oh, like oh so it's tax advantageous. So, you know, like kind of like it's like a, a negative thing. And I say, no, this is what the exactly as you just said, Mikel, like this is what the country wants. They want you coming in and investing in the economy. It is a win-win for all involved. Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, that is statist mentality where it's just brainwashing where they think that if you don't pay taxes, then you're a bad and horrible person. Right, man, I i haven't paid taxes in the better part of 20 years, and it does me just fine. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm an honest yep. and open and ethical human being, and I help people who want to do similar things in their life. Yeah, it, that that's it
0: exactly. I mean, if anybody's taken a basic economics course, like a, a econ, econ 101 is going to say, like, taxes are bad. Like, they prevent you from being able to spend. And when you spend and when you invest in economy, it helps boost the economy it is a literally a win win so we need to get out of that mentality where like oh if you don't pay taxes you're bad <laughs> and yeah. and uh and it is it is good to hear from someone who's actually doing this and helping others do it that there is a right way to go about it that it's not like Panama papers, it's not Amazon avoiding all their taxes and you know, there there is a right way to do this and there's a reason for it that's
1: that's justifiable and that's within our grasp to do so. Yeah. I, I suggest going to the IRS website and start reading about it. I mean, everything is literally laid out there. Spend the time and start reading and researching. Or if you don't have hundreds <laughs> of hours to do it, you come and work with someone like me. I mean, yeah. it, but I can show you in the law, in the revenue code, where the laws are and what they say, and then we just do it.
0: Yeah, I think it's all super fascinating. And I'm I'm glad to see people like yourself kind of helping people navigate those waters. I'm a huge fan of outsourcing our weaknesses. So if I'm not good at something, which I am not good at the stuff that you do, for instance, I don't enjoy some of the uh, the aspects of being an expat that you thrive in and you're doing really well at. So I always try to get somebody to professionally help me with that. It's not a time to pinch pennies is is my advice to people. Um, so thank you for the work you're doing there and all that you're sharing through the Expat Money Show. It's, it's truly, truly helpful. If you're listening to this show and like the show, I definitely recommend go over to the Expat Money Show. Take a listen, um, especially if you're interested in these aspects of life abroad. Before we go too deep, down into that rabbit hole, which I know we could, but that's why the Expat Money Show exists and not on About Abroad. I would love to hear more about this school that you're building. And as much as the nuts and bolts of it, I'm really interested to hear about the ethos and the story behind the why, which we got a little taste of already, I think, with your upbringing,
1: but I'm very intrigued to hear a bit more. So what happened is I've been working with private clients consulting for, I don't know, many years now. And over and over and over again, I kept hearing, you know, this is all great and I want to do this, but I can't take my kids out of the school. Or what am I going to do with the kids? Or, you know, they have all these friends and, and I'm so worried about this. So I kept hearing this, you know, this problem come up over and over again. And as I've lived overseas and, you know, my friends have Kids And, you know, we do a lot of play dates and things like this. And you watch the kids, they go to school, and then they might be at an international school, like, like, let's take Abu Dhabi, for example, I lived in Abu Dhabi for eight years, tons of international schools there. And people come over, they get a job for a few years. And they make friends, the kids make friends, they have a great time. And then the father gets reposted somewhere else or the mother gets a new banking job and they're moving to Singapore or something like that. And the kid has to be pulled out of school. And now they got to say goodbye to all of their friends again. And it's like these two types of things kept happening over and over and over again. I was like, we got to come up with a solution to this. Like, I'm not someone who just sits around and complains about stuff all day long. I want to actually figure out, okay, what is the solution? How do we fix this? How do we have a viable option for someone to make their lives better? I mean, that is quintessentially what an entrepreneur is, by the way, you know, someone who solves problems. But um, I got connected with with a gentleman. His name is Michael Strong. He has been in education for over 30 years. He was a guest on my show about a a year or so ago. Actually, we started talking before that and then had him on the show. And we hit it off very well. Like, I think the episode went on for two hours. We talked all about education. I'm super passionate about education. You can probably imagine after my horrendous experience, I became really excited about alternative ways to learn things, more efficient, more effective hacks and strategies and how to do this. I mean, still today, I'm almost 40 years old for since I was a teenager, I've read over 100 books a year. I mean, over and over and over again, year after year after year. Well, why do I do that? And then the other people went out there and did a bachelor's and a master's and a PhD and didn't start working till late. And then they never did any more learning after that, you know, or maybe they just did a bachelor's and they never picked up a book since then. I never had this creativity beat out of me as a child because I left school at such a young age that for me, it was normal to continue reading and to exploring. So I I, I tell you these three, four different pieces because that's all kind of a piece of a recipe which has gone into us creating our own school. So... It's called Expat International School. The, the full title is actually Expat International School of Freedom and Entrepreneurship. So we have really strong values for entrepreneurship, a lot of things about personal responsibility. This is not victim mentality, as we talked about before. This is taking responsibility for your actions. And then it is specifically designed for the expat space. So when I partnered with Michael, he has a domestic school just for you know domestic US. He had a brick and mortar school. We took that idea, we put it online, and we specially made it for international families. So we deal a lot with Kids who come from different cultures, different religions, different languages, different time zones. Everybody ends up interacting with one another. It is all based on Socratic thought. So we, we talk about ideas. It's not just one teacher at the front of the room talking at you all day long. Just bang, 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 bang. No, these are discussions. So we propose an idea. Well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I sat in on a class yesterday, and it was... If you could create your own utopian or dystopian city, what would it look like? What would be the things that would happen to make it a utopia or a dystopia? And we had this group of, I think it was about 15 kids, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, discussing this idea and there was no right answer or wrong answer. And the, the we call them guides, we don't call them teachers. The guide was just there to facilitate the conversation. Well, what about this? Did you think about that? Okay, this person next. And then the interaction between the kids is so different than government run schools. It's just mind boggling. Like even calling it a school is, I mean, not even the correct word. It almost does I, it I a disservice, to dis- right? To call it yeah, a school. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And school obviously has such a bad taste in my mouth because of the experience that I don't even like calling it a school, but it is a school, but it's just done on very different ways. We do mentorship programs. So for example, I am mentoring a, a kid today, actually. His name's Tristan. I have a mentoring call with him. He's 17 years old. He's a Uh, student in the school and he wants to get into entrepreneurship and he wants to um, make money. I mean, who doesn't want to make money? I think it's a very noble cause. Be able to provide for your family, support things, do the charities that you want, drive the economy. Money is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. So I'm sitting down mentoring him today. And each of the kids have a different mentor that they work with on a weekly basis. The classes are not just rote memorization. You know, what is the longest river? What is the tallest building? You know? No, I mean, they're like, we're learning, the kids are learning programming. They're learning video editing. We're going to be even doing things on podcasting. I want to actually start taking my podcast and making it a live podcast, having the kids join, then observe the podcast, listen to the whole thing. And then after the hour interview, before we wrap up, give the kids like 10 minutes to ask, questions to the guest about the topic of the day like fascinating that's amazing like can you imagine that like imagine you have kids you have a 16 year old and that's what they get to do at school school once again quotation mark because i mean programs like ours we get like these amazing entrepreneurs and investors and people who have built the the life of their dreams, like how inspirational for a kid to be able to ask their questions directly to someone like that, like that, I think is really neat. Like I'm, I'm so pumped up about this, man. It might be the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. Wow.
0: That's a, that's a pretty amazing thing to say. And it's not hard to understand why even amongst all the other accomplishments along the way, this is, this has the ability to impact generations and also I think set the precedent for what others might view as what schools should be. Uh, we're, all, we're all evolving. Everything's changing constantly. And this could be that next step, something like this, where people start waking up and going, wow, why, why wouldn't I want my kid to have that experience as opposed to the alternative? Uh, even if the alternative is the norm, we don't have to go with the norm anymore. You know, There, there are options out there. Uh,
1: well, if you look at human history throughout time, the normal, normal state-run schools have only been going for, what, 100, 150 years. But for the last 50,000 years, we've been doing mentorship. That is That was education for, the, for 99.99999% of human history. It was mentorship. That is what we're basing a lot of these ideas on. It's mentorship. It is, we took the best from homeschooling, world schooling, unschooling, brought that in. The whole program is digital. Sorry, I I didn't mention this before, but one of the, the big things is that as the kids move from country to country with expat families, now they still have the same group of friends. They still have that social safety network because it's the same kids that are coming back year after year after year. So it doesn't matter if you were in Abu Dhabi for two years and then you moved to Singapore because your mom got a new job and you were there for three years, you still have the same group of friends. You still get to talk to people every day. We still have lots of free time to goof off and to have random conversations and things like this. We're actually going to be doing the program in three different time zones. At the moment, we're just doing US standard time, but hopefully next year, we're also going to be putting in a European time and an Asian time. So it doesn't even matter where your family is. You can have different classes. And if there is a class that you like that is only offered at 11 o'clock at night, well, I mean... If the kid wants to get up and stay up all night long to go to that class, then that that's sacrifice. I mean, then they make the decision for their own life that it is worthwhile for their time. It's just a very, very, very different dynamic than state-run school.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm curious about, you You tackled the time, time zone thing, which was something I was going to ask about, but... People ask me about this in the in the remote work world, and and I always laugh at it. They say, "How do you recreate the water cooler?" You know, in the office, you have the water cooler. That's where all the magic happens. And I always laugh. Like, what what conversation ever turned into anything actually productive from the conversation at the water cooler? Zero, none. It never worked. It was never a thing. And you're only using it as a thing now because we're all remote, and you're looking for a reason to buck the trend. But I'm curious in the, if someone said to you, how do you recreate the social time with the kids, you know, coloring together or brainstorming on projects or playing out on the playground? Those things are tough to recreate in the virtual world. So what are you guys doing that, that, or what do you say to that person who comes with that kind of
1: uh challenge? Okay. So we have two different things here that we're going to break down a little bit. The first thing is the water cooler or the chit-chat or the hallway or the, the sitting around, standing around the locker and chatting. In my perspective, the best way to do this is let the kids sort themselves out. We don't need everything completely planned out. Things are going to happen organically. So the kids really like Discord. So they started their own Discord server for the school and they have their own rooms and they meet there and talk. We don't have to be there to moderate those types of things. That is external, but they naturally do these types of things. I don't have to be like, okay, this is where you're going to go and this is where you're going to have this conversation. And no, I mean, the less you plan these types of things, the better off it's going to be. So that's on that aspect. Now, actually, I guess it's even three aspects. For the school, we also do things like, say, science class. A kit will be sent to the the child for doing experiments and doing science and things like that. Some of it will be done, you know, over a video conference, similar to what we're doing right now. And then some of it will be like, okay, meet back here in 30 minutes, go and do your thing or go down to the park and go and collect some leaves. Or I don't know. I mean, maybe for the juniors, the school does go from ages. We have Side note, we have three different programs that are running. We have a junior program, middle school and high school. So junior goes from 8 to 11. Middle is 11 to 14, and high school is 14 to 19. So it doesn't really matter what age your child is. They can actually participate in this. Even we have some kids who are like 7 years old, but they're a mature 7, and then they come in. That's also okay. It's really based on the, the child. But if the child needs to do something away from the camera, then that's no problem. Then they just go and do it. And then they come back. The class is there. The guide is there to help, to ask, to answer any questions. And then the third aspect is, okay, this doesn't stop the kid from participating in sports or anything like that. So I mentioned earlier, we bought this huge TV because my daughter loves to dance. Well, we got Just Dance. And every day for like two hours, she wants to play Just Dance. And my mother gets up there and my wife gets up there. Even our nanny gets up there and they all play Just Dance together in the mornings. Tons of exercise. She has her little friends over and they play. Uh, Four days a week, she goes to karate. I mentioned to you, I'm big into karate, so I wanted my daughter to take a look at it. She actually enjoyed it very much. So she does karate four days a week for an hour, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So she does that. We take her to the park every day. There's a huge playground. She goofs off and plays with all the kids and runs around and burns energy. We have a pool downstairs. 5 p.m., she's at the pool every day playing with the kids. So there's still tons of socialization on the physical aspect. And then the school is video interaction it's not it's not a youtube video oh watch this recorded youtube video no it's really high touch point the child is there interacting with other kids all day long making social connections you know solving problems answering questions everything that you would normally expect does that make sense
0: it does yeah it's it's funny how the correlation between this and the conversations we're having around remote work just align so well because I will tell people all the time when they say, "How do you create culture in a remote organization?" and I'll say, "Well, you know, it's not about like forced Zoom happy hours and and things like this. You have plenty of opportunity for socialization. There there is a human element." To the fact that we bond around our work, right? The work is what unites us as a team across all these different countries. We get our work done together and you can enjoy that process. But then how about now you have the freedom to choose your own friends and choose your own activities because after work, you can shut the laptop and move on and go hang out with your real friends. HR didn't select your friends or the school system didn't select your friends. In your case, you are actually free to go do what you want to do. And this is a liberating mindset, actually. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. Well, I, I absolutely love what you're doing. And uh, it's it's interesting to see all the different ways that travel is sort of at the middle, at the core of what you're doing. It's, and it touches everything, but you found ways to make it so applicable to the different challenges that people face. Schooling, finances, taxes uh, visas, passports you're solving all those problems in a bunch of different ways, which is what holds a lot of people back so I'm uh, I'm
1: I'm really enjoying following along and, and learning more from from people like you. Oh thanks so much Chase I really appreciate that. yeah, I'm really stoked about this stuff and I think that you can probably hear all the passion in my voice and my excitement about these types of things but thank you so much for that.
0: Yeah, you're you're welcome, and um, and again, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to follow along. I know myself and the audience uh, listening here are gonna are gonna enjoy seeing what happens next with this because I do really think it could be revolutionary. And I think uh, I'm trying to think, Mikkel, is there anything else we should we should touch on as far as the school goes, as far as as expat money show? I mean, we we tried to pack a lot into a short period here, but I. Uh, I've, I, I think we've I think we've done a good job here. I'm, I'm not sure if there's anything else we should dive into. What do you think?
1: Well, I mean, I could probably talk all day long. And you and I are friends, so I think you know we can probably keep going. And as I said, we'll grab that bottle of tequila and uh, <laughs> and chit chat. But I mean, I'm happy to come back. You know, we didn't talk too much about the immigration. You know, I work a lot with second passports, second residencies, and these types of things. But yeah, I mean it's not just me i have a team behind me i'm very fortunate i have some really dedicated people i think we're up to eight staff now so we're growing we're growing quite well helping lots of people and you know i think it's been a big wake-up call during covid um you know I, i'm not talking politics but i mean it doesn't really matter to me what i what side of the aisle you sit on but i think most people understand that you know there are problems out there and you need to be prepared. You need to have a backup plan. You need to have alternatives available to you. It's your responsibility to protect your family, protect your spouse, your parents, your, your kids. I mean, what do you want out of life? That's my question, I guess. What do you want yeah. out of life?
0: This is a great question to ask. Everybody should always try to challenge themselves to answer that question and, and answer. If you are giving yourself the answer that you want, you know, <laughs> I think a lot of people are, 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 a bit afraid to make that, that leap of faith sometimes. And, um, and it takes hearing from others that have done it and, and coached other people on how to do it, uh, to, to make that change. So, um, again, Mikel, thank you so much. I look forward to the bottle of tequila and,
1: and the next time to, uh, to see where it goes. I appreciate you joining the show. Absolutely. Thanks so much. And if people want to find out more information, you guys can check out the podcast at expatmoneyshow.com or check out the school at expatschool.io, expatschool.io.
0: Absolutely. And we will link to all of this in the show notes as well. So if you're listening on whatever device you're on right now, go to the show notes right now, click on any one of those links, the one that interests you most, and uh, and definitely give Expat Money Show a follow. You will not be disappointed. Thanks again, Mikhail. We'll speak soon. Thanks so much.